When we first thought of starting The Lost Chill, we knew we needed to find an easy-to-use platform to get our podcast out to you. When we found Anchor, we knew it was exactly what we had been looking for. Not only does it make recording and editing a breeze, but my favorite part is that Anchor distributes your podcast for you to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more, which saves us so much time. And my favorite part? The fact that Anchor is completely free. It keeps getting better too. Not only do you not need to pay at all for a full one-stop podcast creating platform, but you can also get paid from your podcast with no minimum amount of listeners. It's so simple. Create and edit your podcast directly on your phone using the free app, or you can also use your computer or tablet as well. There's no expensive equipment necessary to get your podcast off the ground. We truly believe you will love Anchor as much as we do. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your own podcast today. You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your marvelous hosts. And welcome to episode four. Uh, Continuing on our chess theme, we're going to be discussing The Queen's Gambit by Walter Tevis. But before we dive into that, Kimmy, what have you been perusing? I've been reading Ready Player One by Ernest Cline, which is pretty popular, so I'm sure most people know it. But if you don't, it's... A dystopian novel where, I don't know, basically the Bill Gates of their time who created some Oasis video game virtual reality nonsense. He dies and basically leaves his fortune to who could ever figure out this giant Easter egg scavenger hunt nonsense about his life. And it's pretty good. I liked it a lot. Um, I actually watched the movie first. I don't usually do that. Usually I have a very, very strict rule <laughs> that I need to read the book before mm-hmm. the movie, but... It worked out. I liked it. It was good stuff. Good. Uh, what are you reading? Um, I just finished Firefly Lane by Kristen Hanna. There's a lot of buzz about her lately. Um, I I loved it. I cried like a little little girl. Aww. And I was all in my feels, which is, you know, you and I have talked about that in depth <laughs> yesterday about how weird that is for me to me and my feels about that but I mean I sobbed and how much you loved it I loved it so much um I'm really excited because she had a new book that just came out the four wins and that's actually gonna be our next episode yes and I cannot wait for that one because I even went to a virtual book tour event for a local bookstore and so I just can't wait to just break that down share what I learned share the book I'm really excited she she knocks them out of the park. She does. Uh, she is definitely becoming one of my uh, favorite authors. I'm late to the Kristen Hanna game, but I'm trying to read as many as I can right now. Yeah, actually, as you were reading Firefly Lane, I don't know why. I'm always just like, five years ago, five years ago. I looked it up on my Goodreads. <laughs> that was seven years ago that oh, I wow. read that. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so, 
So I've been on the Kristen Hannah train for a long time, yeah. but it's I kind of did fall off for a little bit there. So I either it's been so long since I've read them that I don't remember too many details or. Well, I just like it because she can write about so many different parts of history and it's not just one time period place. It's so versatile. And some are pretty modern. Yeah, absolutely. Like this one, like Firefly, Firefly Lane was pretty modern. But yeah, so can't wait to talk about that. But let us dive into The Queen's Gambit. So before we talk about this book, there is a trigger warning for drug, alcohol abuse, as well as sexual abuse. So the series based on the book is a very popular Netflix series right now, which I'm sure most of you already know. However, Kimmy and I wanted to go into this blind, so we knew nothing about this storyline other than it was about chess. This is obviously just taken off. I was surprised, first of all, to find out that that popular series is based on a book. And then it's a book from 1983. Mm -hmm. So it's just regained a lot of popularity once more with Netflix being released. And just based on the novel's timing, it's speculated that the main character, Beth Harmon, was based loosely on real-life chess prodigy Bobby Fischer. So this novel's been praised over and over for the accuracy and details within the game of chess. And Tevis actually based a lot of this off of his own play, although he was nowhere as skilled as Beth Harmon was. So prior to Netflix's successful take on this novel, there were two failed attempts to adapt this to the screen. Third time's a charm. I guess so. That's odd. I mean, I wouldn't look at this and this book by itself necessarily and be like, Yes, hit show. Yeah. Nope, try again. It was done wrong. Like, I would assume the first two failed attempts were because the story. Well, not necessarily, because Heath Ledger was working on this right before he died with his production company. So why'd that one fail? Too soon, Kimberly. Too soon. Oh. All right, so (laughs) going into this novel, knowing absolutely nothing about it other than somehow about chess. Were you as surprised as I was to how this whole story started? I definitely was. So it starts off the bat with tragedy. Beth's mom dies in a car crash, leaving Beth to go to an orphanage, which just gets us immediately into a world of fear, punishment, and traumas. That whole first chapter and thinking about that in life and, you know, it just easy comparing what you're reading to like would that happen now that kind of Mm -hmm. thing i was kind of interested in orphanages so i did even look up if orphanage still exists in that way in america because you don't hear about them right the same way do they are they Um, a thing still so i honestly like just straight up googled the first link that came up was americanadoption.com which Uh is an adoption agency but they had a whole page dedicated to it and they had said that orphanages started closing after world war ii And around that same time, there were laws, policies, and reformers pushing for children to be fostered in order to get more personalized and individualized attention. Mm -hmm. By the 1950s, there were more kids in foster care than orphanages. By the 1960s, foster care was just a completely government-funded program. Mm -hmm. And it said that since then, orphanages have gone extinct entirely, and in their place are modern boarding schools, residential treatment centers, and group homes, which can be similar. Yeah. Um, but they still just aren't the same as what orphanages are often depicted in novels like this. Right, because she basically went to school at the orphanage, mm-hmm. and it wasn't 
like an in-home patient group home setting would be right. today. So a lot different. So does it ever say in the book when this takes place? Is it present day for 83? I do. I don't think it says straight okay. up. Because so, I wondered that a few times and either okay. I just missed it because it was done so quickly in the beginning before I was starting to wonder because I wondered that too. Yeah. So. Well, if we go with like the timeline from that website I researched, orphanages were pretty much on their way out by right, the 60s. That's why I was confused as to when this would have taken place because so she paid $7,000 for the house. house. Mm-hmm. The average median home price well, in the United States in 1983 was 75000 So this had to have been prior. Yeah. But they just never say. They didn't really say. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you that it did have to be. The other thing about orphanages and all of it that made me laugh, laugh in a very morbid bitter this is not funny at all oh the irony laugh mm-hmm. was the scrutiny that they put potential parents through before they could yeah. adopt kids right to make sure the conditions were okay and that a woman couldn't have a child that she adopted by herself right she had to be with her husband which is absolutely and that's sad. another thing i was wondering too though of how the laws have changed a because lot. I would think nowadays, if you adopt someone, I mean, yeah, you're allowed to adopt as a single mom, even you're allowed mm-hmm. to go through a lot of reproductive treatments, even as a single woman. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, those laws have changed. But the way that it was kind of written of like, yes, she was adopted in theirs. Mm-hmm. But if something changed, that changes the adoption and like makes it null and void. Right. Right. And that's created issues. That's super crazy to me. Right. You can't, that you could just like be like, oh, life circumstances change. We're going to take this kid back and just uproot them completely and mess them up even more than they probably already are. I can't imagine. Yeah. They have some stability. Right. But here we're going to take that away from them just because you got divorced. Right. Um, So according to a quick internet search, this took place in the 1960s. Okay. That makes sense. Book never really talks about it. So orphanages are already on their way out. Yeah. At this point, they're already sort of becoming a faux pas, which we start to see in the book as well um, with some of the practices that take place, which we'll talk about later. So back to the story then. Yep. At the orphanage where Beth is placed, we you know, are meeting all the people who work there. There's the cold, heartless director. Mm-hmm. There's the church lady who they have to sit through every Sunday and mm-hmm. learn about how they're all going to hell. <laughs> The student who works there while still in college, who dispenses the kids' pills and vitamins, the janitor. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you automatically assume, based on how it starts talking about the janitor, that he's just going to be another shitty person in her life. It's interesting to me that you thought that just as is reading the story. Mm-hmm. Because the reason I thought that is last year... I read the book Before We Were Yours. Uh-huh. And in that book, it is about orphanages as well. Mm-hmm. And But it's a whole family of kids. It's like four or five of them. They're all taken together. And they're allowed to sleep in the basement. And there's this guy in the basement. And one of the, and he gives the girl candy. And she thinks she's he's nice. And then he ends up raping her. 
So for me, it was just so many parallels of, you know, new to the orphanage, a, a guy alone in the basement thinking he's friendly. I was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, it's happening again. Right. Well, and he wasn't really friendly with her though at first. He was kind of gruff and off-putting where he wouldn't really yeah. help her play chess or teach her or even acknowledge that she was there at first. Yeah, so, so I think that part of his personality was weird, but it was kind of like a, I don't know, do you think it was an intentional red herring to like think he would be something? I think so, because, I don't know, you uh, orphanages are already such a weird story plot anyway, or story setting, I should say, because you have like even Orphan Annie. There's always just a shit person in the book who is just so terrible to the main character in an orphanage. So you automatically are starting to look to see who that person is. And there was a couple thrown in to this storyline, but you're automatically, I think your brain is trained to look for that bad person because of the, the rap that orphanages have. I guess then we'll say that he did go that route, but with the whole sexual abuse, did you see that coming? So I've read a lot of books before with pretty graphic sexual assault and rape scenes. Firefly Lane just had one in it. There's a really graphic one in it. Um, however, this freaking took the cake for me. I was absolutely disgusted and had to step away from the book for a bit during this rape scene. Um, my biggest issue was I didn't expect it to be another child raping this eight-year-old little girl that killed me too i could barely finish the chapter i just felt so uncomfortable so completely unsettled and gross after reading that it it made me really uncomfortable why do you think that that was particularly gruesome and one of the worst ones you've read i think it's because it was two children so you think that these kids are innocent and don't have knowledge to do something like this but unfortunately we saw that wasn't the case so it made me really wonder if Jolene, the person who was um, sexually abusing Beth, had where she had learned that behavior and what past traumas she had where she thought that this was normal and it was okay. So then throughout the book, there is a sexual overtone to a lot of the things that Beth thinks, um, even as a very young child, which was pretty uncomfortable. And I'm glad there was nothing spelled out in the mm-hmm. rest of the book like that. Yeah. Because that would have been too much for me. I, that I wouldn't have enough. finished it if it was. But who's to say that there wasn't actually more? Um, it does eventually even cut off some of her time in the orphanage. And so you're, you mentioned wondering where Jolene learned that behavior. And to be honest, that's probably exactly where Beth learned it too, to think that way. Mm-hmm. We find out later that Jolene has been there since I think age four, after her grandma sent her there. And she knows nothing of her parents and just says it's all best forgotten. I'm certain she has deep traumas from life, both before the orphanage and during. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to the sexual overtones of this book, it just felt a little bit odd. It did. It, it felt unnatural. And you and I have both questioned if Beth was on the spectrum of autism or if she had maybe Asperger's or something along those lines. So maybe it was the author's intention to kind of see that she was so disengaged from 
what that meant and that she really didn't put that together. So maybe that was the intention. If it wasn't, it was just creepy as fuck. And it just felt... It was. Predatory. It was really uncomfortable. I had multiple times that I was reading Beth's sexual thoughts about people. And I'm like, it's a man writing this. It just feels off and unnatural. Right. I think that's the best word for it is it felt really unnatural. And you and I are not two people who are prudes. Prudes or squirmish about this kind of thing at all. So I wanna I wanna throw that out there too, that this is not something that, you know, typically bothers us. A a sexual assault scene, like we get it. It's part of the story that the author's telling, but there was just something about this scene in particular that was especially disturbing and just throughout the book, the entire theme of just sexual weirdness, I yeah. guess, that there was no meaning behind any of the relationships that she had. No. Um, it was just, I mean, and I think that that goes back to maybe she was on the autistic spectrum because people who have autism have a high intelligence level like she did. And they have trouble making social relationships. And maybe that's what the author was trying to convey without actually saying that. I think you're right. I think that the rape scene added nothing to the story, except maybe that's where we get or learn of why Beth thinks the way she does. And honestly, it completely tarnished my view of Jolene throughout the whole book. I was worried and uncomfortable around her the rest of the time even though she did become a good friend. But that's also weird. It is weird. She, Beth did not make the connection that Jolene was sexually abusing her and taking advantage of her because she didn't even know what was going on. And it says that when the scene was happening. But then to want to contact her when she's at her lowest of lows, when she's an adult, is just extremely odd. And what was odd also is that there were never any other kids mentioned by name worth mentioning which could be her lack of connections mm-hmm. except jolene and i don't know if that's because jolene reached out to her but i think it can be multifaceted i think that she like she didn't know any better she was so young when that happened yeah but then jolene was the only one reaching out to her or trying because she was probably the weird awkward smart kid smarter than anyone else and jolene was the only one who talked to her And so she didn't know what was normal sexually. She didn't know what was normal for relationships. And we also have to remember, like, if this is set in the 60s, mental health and talking about Mm -hmm. abuse, it was still so stigmatized, never learned about, never talked about. Yeah. Slept under the rug. So she probably never did learn throughout her whole life. Yeah. That that was not normal, that that was not okay. Mm -hmm. And she might have just been like, that's just what happened. She right. still helped me in more ways than she hurt me. And I don't know how to connect anyone else. I don't have anyone else. So even though she hurt me so much, that's all I got. Well, and she did say that she helped her because there's a very odd scene as well about her starting her period. Mm-hmm. And she mentions that had Jolene never told her that that's what happens, she would have never known that was right. going to happen. And so, you know, sex ed, if there even was a sex ed in the orphanage, is obviously a lot different than it is today. Kids... I doubt. It was a Christian orphanage. You think they're going to... No. No, but I mean, like, maybe not sex ed uh, as we see it today, but just health education in general that's going to tell these kids, hey, you're going to start your period, or this is what's going to happen to your body. But she didn't even have that. Uh, I just quickly searched on Google, and it says, 
it's on Wikipedia, so I'm, we're not eh, this checking isn't college for all paper. the accuracy, right? Yeah. But it says sex education was not taught in schools until 1978. There you go. So, so she relatively had no new, idea. Yeah, it's a new concept. Relatively. And so I think that, I mean, that could have skewed it so much because, sure. yes, Jolene did this to her and hurt her when she was super young, but she did honestly end up being the only one who was there for her. And I think, and that's what I hated about it because I could never trust Jolene again, even I couldn't if either. the character could, because she didn't know better. And I hated mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So life is rough for everyone in the orphanage. There's no doubt. It's scary. You don't really know who to trust. Not the caretakers, not the teachers, not the other kids. That's rough on its own. But then we also learn that the orphanage is giving the kids tranquilizer pills. Beth becomes really fixated on the pills and she saves a bunch up just so she can experience a bigger high at night when she's struggling to sleep. I was terrified from the get-go that she would accidentally overdose Mm -hmm. from the ones she was saving up. One night she took seven and I was worried that that would be too much. And again, that's another thing. How would she know? Right. Who's there to tell her, you know, moderation or anything they're giving them to her she thinks they're good how would she not know that more equals better and she likes the way she feels when she takes it right so no one's ever warned her anything about them but a seven year or an eight-year-old taking seven pills like that it's a wonder she didn't kill herself that's crazy yeah a tiny little body doing that and then that messes up your brain when you're so young too it does which is probably why she struggled with addiction throughout the rest of the book Absolutely. I'm curious what the difference was for Jolene. Why she wasn't hooked? Yeah. Unless, because I would think maybe, I don't know, Beth liked how they made her feel. Uh Uh-huh. But they were meant to, you know, kind of calm the kids down and make them not be such kids, basically. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some people didn't like that. Like, probably Jolene. Some probably just didn't take them at all. Probably not, Didn't switch them to sleeping pills instead. Because Beth kind of was like, these, like, I can feel how they drain my energy, so... I can't sleep at night, so I'll use these to help me sleep because they make me sleepy. I uh-huh. bet some people were like, these are dumb. I don't want to take these at all and just didn't. Right. So the state finds out that the orphanage is tranquilizing these children and tells them to stop. So all the kids are pulled off the pills cold turkey. And like we were already saying, Beth struggles with this and completely fixates on trying to get more. She gets caught stealing them. And this is a freaking child who is stealing pills, and she eventually overdoses. She gets access to the jars of pills because she breaks into the pharmacy, and she's so relieved that she just downs an entire handful and puts another handful in her pocket. And so the headmaster ends up finding out that she overdosed because they have to take her to the hospital. because she's lying there unconscious. Right. And so they punish her in a few different ways, but... The one thing that hurt her the most was taking away chess. And the best part about this was that Beth did the right thing when she was being punished. And she stood up to the headmaster and was like, you shouldn't have been giving this to us in the first place. And so this scared the headmaster a little bit. So I was hoping that that would be a side plot where Beth was going to get revenge on the orphanage. Because I thought that she was going to do something where she was going to get the headmaster in trouble for giving them these pills. But it never came to fruition. I didn't think so. No? No. Hmm. I don't think people care that much. No. Especially then. Yeah, I think it's 
hard to find them who care deeply enough to do something about now. I mean, it, maybe she was punished and we just didn't know. But yeah. what is it? A fine? A write-up? Uh, don't let this happen again. Three I strikes would, and you're out. I would hope that they would be shut down for an offense like that. But the yeah. 60s... A few years after that, Beth has adopted by a couple. At the time. That was all really awkward, too. Ugh. I can't... Like, that... That was weird. So Beth gets adopted. This couple comes to see her and immediately the, the yeah, the Wheatleys, the mom, the -hmm. female half is like, I'm so happy you're chipper and I love kids and weird. And the dad is just like shooting dirty looks and blah, blah, blah. And it was just weird and awkward. She met them. Then they left and she didn't even realize she was being adopted. They're like, so are you going to be packing? And she was like, what? (laughs) It was so weird. It was very awkward. So basically they tell her to pack up her stuff and she is then picked up by the Wheatleys mm-hmm. at breakfast one day. And she goes to a house, amazed at how big her room is, typical orphan in a home right. response. And then Mr. Wheatley goes to Denver on a business trip and then he just disappears without much explanation ever. Mm-hmm. Eventually the orphanage comes and checks on her and they just lie about it. And Beth is like, I can tell she's lying. We haven't even spoken to him. So it's just obvious that he's not just on a business trip. Yeah. They're not even talking or communicating. Well, and then I found it weird that they would also not even refer to him as Mr. Wheatley or whatever his first name was. It would just be referred to Denver's calling or there's a call from Denver. And it's just like, why is it so cold? What happened here? I was very confused about their relationship the whole time. Yeah. It was very odd. Especially at the end when he tries to take the house back from her and she ends up buying it from him. Mm-hmm. Because initially he said, you can have the house and all the equity in it as long as you make the mortgage payments. Yeah. And then he completely backtracked. So I feel like maybe there was some shady shit that he was up to in Denver or wherever the hell he actually was, um, because he kept having money issues. It was very, very underlying, read-between-the-lines money issues. Yeah, and I feel like I just had questions about their whole relationship as to, like, there were times I was wondering if they were even actually married or if it was completely just a farce Mm. to get the kid, which I think they were in the end, which we found with the house. Yeah. But then, like... Would he have left her anyway? Like, know. he just left as soon as they adopted a kid together. And was he even sending money ever? Or did it just run out? But then, so he's out of the picture for a while. Right. And we have Beth and Mrs. Wheatley. And that's very strange, too. Did you get the vibe that she adopted her for all the wrong reasons at first? Like, because she was lonely? Yeah. And that she didn't. she didn't really treat her like a child she treated her like this little friend of hers and it was just very different relationship than you would assume that a person who longed to have a child would treat there i think she for sure had some kind of mental illness of her own well she had substance abuse issues too mrs wheatley would just get so distant or not even seem to be necessarily aware of what was actually going on and Mm -hmm. just who knows yeah so to be honest i was not expecting this book to have all these traumatic issues right immediately from the get-go. So I will say with that, 
I'm okay with how we started this, but to everyone, like, I was so caught off guard. I was too. By everything in the beginning. Completely off guard. But let's kind of bring it back to the main storyline of and the theme of chess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's quickly go over that synopsis of how she gets into it. Okay. Going back to the janitor, Mr. Scheibel at the orphanage, we both started out worried about him, but he actually turned out to be the one who taught her how to play chess. Beth saw him in the basement playing by himself and she was intrigued, but he was really reluctant to teach her anything about the game. He did eventually give in and began to teach her. Even still, he tries to withhold some knowledge about the game from her until he can see her talent and natural gift for the game. From the very beginning, as she is learning to play, Beth has this special gift where she can envision the entire game in her head. She does this every night as she's laying in bed, and during the day, she sneaks away as much as possible so she can learn as much as she can. Eventually, the janitor does tell her how extraordinary she is because she quickly learned to beat him. He then brings in another man who's involved with the chess club at the local high school, and she even beats them both simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Like two chess games going at once, and she still wins. Then she, he, that man takes her to the chess club at the high school, and she plays like all of them at once. Yeah, I think it was like 12 people that she played at once, and she was in the middle of the semicircle. Right. And she beat all of them too. Uh huh. And these are people who've been playing two for years. times older than her. Yeah. So as soon as we are seeing her start to really grow in the game of chess at the orphanage, that's when she overdoses. And as punishment, Mrs. Deerdorf, the headmaster, forbids her from playing chess again. So for three years, there's absolutely no chess in her life. And those three years aren't even in the book at all. It picks back up again as she is getting adopted by Mrs. Wheatley. And she starts, she's adjusting to life in a home and at school. And she starts looking for a way to get back into playing chess. She goes to pick up cigarettes for Mrs. Wheatley and sees a chess magazine. Which, can we talk about that for a second? That she was just <laughs> able to go to the drugstore? She had a note. And, <laughs> and buy cigarettes for her? Like, that's so mind-blowing absurd. And people believed it. Yeah. When do you think the kids finally caught on and started writing the notes, and then the adults caught on that the kids were writing the notes for themselves? I would have assumed day one, but apparently <laughs> it went on for a while. My I was God. just blown away. I was like... That's a thing because in our lifetime, and we're no. in our early 30s, early to mid 30s, I'll right. throw that in there, but <laughs> early to mid, early, you're still, I'm mid, don't, don't round up, you can okay. still be the no, early side. You don't side. like me to round up on anything, including ratings. Nope. Nope. Um, but in our lifetime, we've never seen that. <laughs> no, no, it's very strictly enforced. Because if that was the case, I would have tried that with alcohol. <laughs> right. I've got a note I have a from note my mom. Pinned to my shirt. <laughs> so while she's getting these cigarettes, she sees a chess magazine. She ends up stealing that magazine and learns all sorts of information from that about there being a national chess organization that you can be a member of, these tournaments that you can play in. And so that just leads her to stealing more. She mm -hmm. steals money to join. Mm -hmm. She ends up writing to Mr. Scheibel to see if he will loan her the entrance fee to the tournament and then even cuts class to play in it. Mm -hmm. Which I thought it was one of the more touching parts of the book was when she gets the letter back in the mail from Mr. Scheibel with the $10. There was no letter. 
Oh, yes. The When she gets the mail when she gets with the $10 in it, she was just really happy that he did that. And I thought it was a really sweet gesture because it showed their relationship, even though it wasn't the best relationship, but it was, he still cared enough to do that. Right. And it was nice. I think it showed he believed in her. Yeah. And acknowledged her talent. Mm-hmm. He saw potential that she could do something with this. And, and the she passion did. even because mm-hmm. money was hard to come by for so many people mm-hmm. those days. You know, he's not just going to send it to any orphan who right. might go squander it and steal that, you know, parental note and buy cigarettes. With it. <laughs> well, $10 was a lot of money. I thought it was five, but I was going to No, he up. sent her $10. I though. thought he sent her five. He sent her two $10 or two $5 bills. I don't fucking know. I thought he sent her five ones, but... I don't know either. Maybe it was. I don't fucking know. I thought that he gave her some extra. She bought cigarettes with it. I'm just making that part Katie's up. Katie's but... husband who cares about fact checking, which if you haven't noticed, we're not going to do because this takes way more time <laughs> than we ever would have imagined, I think. Hashtag facts. <laughs> and Look it up fact. yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he sent her money. He sent her money and that's and, all there is to and it. And that's how she got in the tournament. It is neither. No, no I know what it was. She needed $5 to enter, uh-huh. and if he sent that back, she told him if she won, <gasps> she would send him back. That's where I got the $10 from. You are correct. You win. We don't need a fact check when you have a Kimmy. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes the facts just come slowly. <laughs> <laughs> so you've never really played chess. Don't know a lot about it. Right. What did you think about the level of jargon oh. and just how the... The scenes were played out at the chess tournaments. It was way over my head. Ugh, I couldn't keep up yeah. or imagine at all. There are so many more words and so much more complexities than I could have ever dreamed of. And basically, I guess, to explain my kind of background of chess or lack thereof, is I've only ever learned the way each piece can move like the rule specific, and I don't ever take it further or play games regularly, so I forget. Mm-hmm. So basically every time I sit down to play chess, I have to relearn just right. that very basic, and I never get past that. And this was just all sorts of names and positions and tactics and defense and offense. It was so much. But still, for some whatever reason, I don't know if it's the habit, my brain would like reread paragraphs, be like, wait, whoa, what did she just do? I'm like, nope, still have no idea because I don't know what's going on in chess. <laughs> Well, and I think the difference between you and I with this book is that I listened to it on audiobook, which that's a whole nother story. But the way that it was spoken, it made me zone out whenever it was these tangents of B6 and F2 and K whatever. I don't, I, I would zone out when it was just those sentences full of jargon, those paragraphs full of jargon. And I was just like, I, this means nothing to me because I cannot visualize this. And I mean, I played chess. I know the basic rules. I played chess as a kid. I used to, there, in the Rocky Mountain News, there used to be um, a little chess game that you would have to try and figure out what the next best move was. And I know that this is really making me nerdy, but I would look at it every single day and I would try and do it. So I was familiar with the the names of the the pieces or the names of the the positions on the board, but... Because I'm not like Beth where I can just visualize this. I really, really struggled to just see what was happening. And I would just zone out. 
I do think, though, that I could get the feel. I think it was explained enough for me, mm-hmm. actually reading and not just hearing it, that I could, like, see when Beth was nervous or happy. Sure. I could tell if it was going well or not in that way, and so maybe that's why I kept trying, kept rereading to try to make sense of it. I Personally, I just like to be able to visualize an action scene, and that was an action scene in the sense of chess in this book. Um, you can't see me, but I'm using air quotes for action scene. And I wanted to be able to visualize it, but it was so full of jargon, I just couldn't. And I just don't know enough about it. So hopefully there's there's people out there who are able to be like, oh yeah, that was an awesome play. And for them, I'm jealous. I think there is, because I think that's why people loved this book was because of the accuracy with it. Like that. Yeah. And I mean, that's even what we talked about at the beginning of this episode is that he was um, praised for how accurate this was but for somebody who's not in that world i i don't know just a little bit different just my opinion absolutely this is our podcast it's all of our opinions and none of our facts none of our facts (laughs) not a single fact just kidding there's facts we research it we're professionals so professional sometimes so going back to the tournaments there was quite a few that were depicted in this book And there was a lot of sexism throughout all of the tournaments. And the fact that she was a girl at these tournaments was brought up a lot. And it was often referred to as a game for just men. And it was weird that she was there. And many things are golf, gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. And it's just more... It was a man's world. More than that, I think... Because I'm grateful she was allowed to play before she ever played without a rating. Of course, they didn't necessarily believe her, wrote her off. But what I enjoyed was when Mrs. Wheatley was all proud of her magazine article and Beth read it and she was pissed that all they talked about was she's a girl. Mm -hmm. Not any of her talents, not how good she actually is, not her skills. Her Life magazine article? Yes. Yeah. But they're just talking about how she's a girl, like... Like, I don't know, like she's some brilliant multitasker because she can, one, both have a vagina while playing chess. (laughs) Mind-blowing. She even had her period while playing chess. I know. It's, wow. It's crazy. But, no, I think you're absolutely right. And she was also very young in that magazine article, and she was up and coming. And so this was something that the chess world really hadn't seen. Although it talks about when she's in Russia that it's not as unusual for a female to be in the chess world over there as it was in the United States. So Russia was ahead of its time. Russia keeps coming up in our books too. Right. Everything has Russia, chess, and different lives. Weird. (laughs) We didn't even plan it this way. No. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of sexism, but I don't think... That's surprising. I don't know. That's one of those things. So I will say the other books made me intrigued by chess and want to play it and think, you know, it was so great and metaphor and philosophical. And I wanted to learn this book. I'm like, oh, this is too much for me. I don't <laughs> want to. The men can have the chess. This sounds <laughs> dumb. Uh, I enjoy it, but I suck at it. So there's that. That's why I don't play. I'm not like her. I can't. I can't think ahead six moves and be like this is gonna happen that's gonna happen and i'm just like that looks like a good place to move that one 
Yeah, now I'm more or less like, yeah, I probably could become good at it, but how much time do I really want to give to this? She dedicated her she, she every studied minute. hours and yes. hours and hours. Yes. Books, magazines. She would set up games that had already been played and replay them so that she could see it yeah, on that her just board. sounds so mind-numbingly dull. And you like mind-numbingly dull things. No, I do not. Name one. Editing. This. Uh... That's hilarious. Do you not see how many funny things I get <laughs> of you that I just snap you constantly? It's tedious. It's not mind dumbing. Mind numbing. numbing. <laughs> Maybe it is mind dumbing. <laughs> yeah. So definitely you have to really have a passion to become a grandmaster, international grandmaster. Isn't that what she initially or eventually became? I think so. Yeah. I think she did become that official title. I don't know. Never really said, but specifically, even though she won stuff, like yeah. it didn't say what her official title was. Um, I lost my train of thought. Hmm. That happens. There is a large amount of drug and alcohol abuse throughout the entire book, starting from when Beth was in the orphanage and being given tranquilizers daily to getting adopted by Mrs. Wheatley and again discovering she takes those same tranquilizers what a coincidence were tranquilizers just a big thing in the 60s or something you know what i was thinking the cultural time difference uh-huh. is like how our joke and slang is about happy pills yeah was a lot, but theirs was about tranquil pills mm-hmm. and she's like oh i need to go to my place of tranquility with my special pills oh my gosh i loved when she was talking like that <laughs> and so it just kind of made me laugh like what our generation so desperately wants is happiness. Mm-hmm. And what their generation wanted was tranquility. Weird. Which I just thought was an interesting difference. It struck me. It struck you. You might say. <laughs> so Mrs. Wheatley also showed some substance abuse tendencies as well throughout the book, we've, which we've kind of touched on already. But she was noted throughout the entire book to have an alcoholic drink in her hand most scenes or be searching for one and then she referred to her tranquility pills a lot too and she even allowed beth to have her first few beers at 17 and then she ended up puking in the toilet so on that 17 point Mm -hmm. later when she met back up with jolene Mm -hmm. she declined a drink and jolene says what's the matter aren't you 18 yet So I looked it up. The drinking age was 18 up until 1984, which was a year after this book was published. So giving Beth a drink that young isn't necessarily crazy. So I was curious about that as well, because I was wondering, I was like, well, how can she keep ordering all these drinks? And then she goes and buys like that case of wine and she's only 18. And I was like, yeah. So the drinking age wasn't that. So what a debate. Am I right? The endless, the drinking age debate. Sure. Yeah. It's been a debate since probably it changed i didn't realize it ever used to be 18 though yeah i've met foreign exchange students when i was in high school who were from germany who were just Mm -hmm. baffled that they couldn't drink here after drinking at home yeah and even going to mexico when i was underage and being able to drink there yeah and how it seems weird but then there's stuff like this when she's that young with like no guidance and still in high school and able to get that drunk and that sick like it's hard to say what it helps or prevents or... She was really lucky in this regard that she did not overdose that... Well, I mean, other than the beginning when she was a child, but that she did not overdose, that she did not 
give herself seizures because she drank so much. She's very, very lucky that she kind of realized once Jolene came back into the picture that it was headed that way. I think that's why Jolene came back into the picture. She was a cry for help. And I mm-hmm, I think that's why she reached yeah. out to hers because I don't, I don't think she knew how to stop on her own or what to do otherwise. Let's talk about this bender that she went on. When she's being touted as such a prodigy and such an industry success, she developed a complex and kind of got a chip on her shoulder, I think. Then when she finally did lose, it was completely unbearable to her. And she started binge drinking for weeks on end. This binge was so bad, it even made her have to remove herself from the Kentucky State Tournament, which she was also defending her title. She was. And so she got so sick when she basically only gave herself like 24 hours to stop drinking. That was insane, for sure. Right. It wasn't even, too, that she was just physically sick, like hung over. Mm-hmm. She couldn't think straight. She couldn't make the moves. She was losing and couldn't figure out why. She was worried, genuinely, that she had drank her talent away. Right, That yeah. she had mentally addled her brain so much that she couldn't have the ability anymore after that. And that's pretty scary. So maybe that was where she was like, oh, shit, I gotta get my life together. And that's, I think, when she called Jolene. She did. And that was very painful to watch because she started to become aware of how bad things were, but she still couldn't stop drinking, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty accurate accurate for... to real life for alcoholism that's what i thought too i was like that must be what an alcoholic or a drug user goes through like you see yourself spiraling but and it has to be hard to feel that way and know you can't stop it and you're out of control mm-hmm. and so i was very grateful i didn't know who she would call i did think it was going to be benny for help but i'm glad she called jolene even though you didn't trust her i don't know that was like it was a decade later We didn't have any other reason to not like her. I was surprised when she called Jolene, Uh but once Jolene was there and arrived, I was happy it was her, and I liked where things went from there. Well, she really didn't have another female besides Mrs. Wheatley in her life that gave her that guidance and support that she was craving, it seemed like. She wanted to be led in a direction. And I think she... she I don't even want to say trusted because of how Jolene hurt her. I don't know how she felt about her, but I think she looked to her for wisdom. Well, because she was older than her. So she, she was, was older kind of than that her. Big sister. She taught her about penises <laughs> and where to find it in the anatomy book. She taught her how to handle her period. So she went to her for a lot of guidance. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated that that was a friend. And she, you know, didn't even tell her why she wanted to talk to her she kind of called out for help and then would sneak it in kind of like is is this just a me thing are you you still on the pills yeah yeah and that's kind of when it everything fell out when she took her back to her house and she jolene forced her to tell her what is going on right and then she helped her get her life back on track so that was lovely to see i appreciate all of that I think that's when I became okay with their relationship, at least what it went to. If you can call it a relationship. Yeah, I commend Beth for having the courage to do that. No one can ever change you for you. No one can ever go through the hard work. But to say, I know things are bad and I will completely drown 
if I remain on my alone. I know it's a problem and I know I have to change it, mm-hmm. but I need you for accountability. I need you to help me and admit it. You know, if you weren't in my house right now, I'd be pouring a drink. Mm-hmm. And letting her know that's how bad it is. Mm-hmm. And Jolie never judged her or got harsh with her for it. And, you know, kind of just was real with her. Like, you need to stop sitting in your funk. Yeah. Get out of this. Get Let's moving. go do this. Let's go to mm-hmm. the gym. Let's go get your house in shape and just get yourself out of this dark place that you allowed yourself to go. So that's got to be a hard relation or a hard conversation to have. No matter how close you are with somebody, that's hard to be like, snap out of this. This is not okay. Your choices that you're making are not okay right now. I think that's part of why she went to Jolene and not Benny. Because I think Benny would have just only done the harsh. He wouldn't have been like, all right, let's do this. I will go through the steps with you of at least getting you out of the house and getting you busy. Mm-hmm. He would have gone back to the, you know, you're going to throw your life away before you're 21. Yeah. How he could you do ass. this? He was. And so she I, didn't need that. She didn't. She needed Jolene. Yeah. I'm glad that she thought of that, that she was able to contact her and slowly find her way out. So speaking of Benny, as soon as she starts playing in these tournaments, we're slowly introduced to different chess masters. Even before Beth officially meets them, they're built up in her head. But then she does meet them and beat them, and their intimidation level completely shifts. It was odd, because after she would beat them, it would shift like so immediately. I don't know if it was their fascination with her, but they became her teachers. they move in with her, or she with them. they just move in together. Then she'd have awkward relationships, eventually having sex with them. really odd ways with like no connection yeah like it was just like something to do it was very odd and awkward she almost felt obligated i think to have sexual relationships with them because it was like a a payment for their knowledge you don't you don't get that vibe with beltic i could see but not with benny no not not as much with benny but definitely with beltic it was like a because she wasn't even attracted to him right she was like she kept talking herself into it like well i guess his teeth aren't that bad that was awkward, but it was awkward with Benny too. And it was from what we talked about earlier and just the weird inner dialogue she has with all her sexual fantasies. Mm-hmm. That was what was weird with Benny. Mm-hmm. And apparently she was just so thirsty looking at him <laughs> as he's like, I'm going to, you're going to move in with me and I'm going to teach you stuff, but no sex. And so I thought that was weird. Because I'm like, how is she looking at him? Is she just like, mm, I want you now. <laughs> like, Man, all the eye contact. <laughs> so much eye contact. So much eye contact. I'm like, why did he think that? Like, what was she doing? Because it just seems very weird and unlikely yeah. to me that someone would, especially in that day and age. Or maybe he was... Having the feelings? Yeah. And or, like saying it to no, himself? No, I think maybe he was just awkward too. And he was awkward. He was just basically not having a filter. Instead of saying that mantra to himself, like, I will not have sex with her. I will not have sex with her. He's just like, no sex. Nope. I'm going to make this really awkward. That's, there's many theories. I mean, I it was just that, weird. But the way I read it in that book was like, because it was like, seriously, like inner dialogue. She's like, oh man, he's so hot. I want to sleep with him yeah. so bad. And then he's like, okay, you can move in, but no sex. And so that's because it went like that is why I was like, were her thoughts like just written on her face that made him think that that's how it came across to me. 
Yeah, I could see that. I could see a lot of different scenarios playing out with that. It was just a weird interaction. It was a weird relationship. It was just all all around strange. Uh, but then when she does get the opportunity to be with him, she's so focused on chess, it kind of takes a back seat. It's all very odd. She got attached. She was never attached. First of all, she wasn't that impressed with the sex. Right. But then... And she's never connected to another person that we feel. But then he goes to play poker the night after they have sex, and she is so bent out of shape over and this. And I still don't understand that why so she is so bent out of shape. Yeah, and because I never felt her connection to him right. or anything, I don't get why she suddenly changed or acted like that. and Why so, she's acting like he put a ring on it? Sudden, yeah, suddenly has all these expectations, which it was... Very awkward. It made no sense it to was, me, that it was reaction. Very strange. And that's just a, a theme that carries throughout the remainder of the relationship in this book where he just all of a sudden just becomes really, I, I think aggressive is too strong of a word, but just really harsh with her and really blunt and just mean at times. I feel like he thinks he has to because she got so stage five clingy on that one. I feel like that was a clingy move. I could see that. Moving it along, I was happy, though, with how their relationship did end up, even though it was, like, kind of up and down. So, basically, he went and played poker. She was super offended. Then uh-huh. she went to a tournament in Paris. That's where she lost. Right. So, then that's when she went home on her bender. Yes. And she wouldn't go to him. She maybe talked to him on the phone, but he was all pissed at her for not coming back. Mm-hmm. She gets her life together with Jolene. Mm-hmm. She goes to a tournament in San Francisco that's all crazy. Oh, that's so that's and then the church was supposed oh, to yeah. pay for the things. sponsor. And yeah, they were supposed to pay for her to go to this huge tournament in Russia. And she wanted to bring Benny with her as a second. Second. Yeah. Right. But then the church, who we find out why they're sponsoring her is because, you know, they want to bring Jesus to fight communism, basically. <laughs> oh, there's that one line in there that I'm still laughing about. What was it? You remembered what it was. I just have uh, beat the commies for Jesus. Yes, beat the commies for Jesus. Jesus. It was hilarious. It made me laugh so hard, and it was the best part of the book, I think. It was hilarious. Yeah. But then the church organization asks her to make a statement, and she refuses and gives them back their money. Mm-hmm. And that's when Benny gets really pissed. Yeah. Because that goes there goes his ticket, too. They're going to pay for both of them. And yeah. they did. It was a ballsy move on her part. It was. Because she didn't have enough money in the bank. And then now she's scrambling to figure out how she's going to get Benny to go with her to Russia. And he ends up not going because. He's too pissed. They gloss over, though, how she does get money. Yeah. Because she goes and asks. Or maybe she just pays for herself because she had like $2,000 in maybe. her checking account or something. But they didn't say how. No. But she had that guy go with her, so it seems like someone sponsored her. He was her. like a chaperone for the United States government, though. Yeah, but they also wouldn't pay for her. Right. That It was weird. But she ended up in Russia. She did. But then she was so sad without Benny, and I think she was. that was not a romantic sadness. It was a chess coach student sadness. So a professional level. Yeah. Not a romantic level. Of her having to go into it alone, work everything out on her own. Yeah, I could see that. Then as she was playing all these master players in russia she eventually stumbles on them playing in a hotel room Mm -hmm. and can see that they're all kind of talking to each other and helping each other and the weird thing about such a mental game like chess 
is that you can like take these overnight breaks and then go and analyze it. Oh, uh-huh. that was odd. Yeah. But then she, you know, <clears throat> sees them all doing that together. And at first I did think, you know, like what happens if this Russian dude wins? Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't it take away the fact that it's not even like simply him that he had all this help and analysis from all these other masters? Yeah. But on the other hand, does it make it that much more if she does win by herself? And that's kind of what I was thinking. But then Benny calls. Mm-hmm. And I loved that because I was wondering like the whole weight of the of the win either way of winning as a team against someone who is completely alone. But then she had her team and I was happier with that yeah. than anything else. Even though it didn't necessarily go as planned, I think. What does? Nothing. But I think what gets you through is people being there for you. Yeah. You've got to keep your people close yeah. or far or just have someone you can be Lean vulnerable on. with mm-hmm. when you need the help. Mm-hmm. In addition to Benny calling her and just that little happy ending of him forgiving her and them being a team, a part of me enjoyed when Borgov, Borgov was the world champion who she was playing in the very last match in Russia that she beat. He gave her the king and then he hugged her. That was a very touching moment. It was. Do you think that would have really happened? Cause no. I think a lot of them get so mad because one, she's a girl who beat them. Right. Two, she's so young. And so it was touching. I was hoping he was going to flip the table. Rage would have been what I expected. And I don't know. Maybe he did it because of all the viewers. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was he fake. Was ready to hand it down. Who knows? Yeah. It was touching, but I also do think unrealistic. Definitely. To Especially for how she would always mention what, while she was playing all of them in Russia, just like looked up and be surprised at how disheveled they were because it was stressing them out and they realized that she was getting an edge on them. Mm-hmm. And so for him to just gracefully accept defeat, mm-hmm. I feel like it either had to be an act or... It wasn't genuine. Yeah. We'll never know, though, mm-hmm. unless the Netflix show tells us. Yeah. Are you going to watch the Netflix show after reading this? <sighs> Maybe after I forget about it a little bit. I need to digest yeah. it more. And um, I, I'm curious because I feel like the chess scenes are definitely going to be played out to be more visually, aesthetically appeasing, appeasing than just reading it on a page and reading the moves. But I'm intrigued. We'll see. I'll probably watch the first episode. I'm a little curious, a little not. People really liked it. And, I know. And to be honest, I didn't really love this book. I didn't either. So let's talk about that. So as you might know, we have a TLC rating system for every book we read of one to five stars. Five is an all-time favorite book. Four is great. I definitely read this again. Three is this was a solid book. It was very good. Two, not very good. Could have lived without reading it. And one was why the fuck did I waste my time on this rubbish? Where do you stand on the Queen's Gambit? I think I would have always been curious because of the Netflix hype. So I can't give it fully a one, but I want to. But not quite. I don't know. One and a half, I'll say. One and a half. Okay. I'm at a two. Initially, I put down on Goodreads that I was a two and a half. But just going through the podcast, talking about it, digesting it more, I'm at a two because it wasn't very good. And I definitely could have lived without reading it. I could have lived without reading it. I do wonder why I wasted my time. Probably because we already announced it on the podcast. Probably. <laughs> if we had it, I'd be like, this is terrible. We should pick something better. 
But that's the beauty of this podcast. It's beautiful. It is, is that we have a platform where we can discuss these things. And, you know, if we ever get to the point of not finishing it, we'll have to call an audible and figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, that will be an interesting day. Yeah. But I, at least this one was short. That was, It was. That was its saving grace. That was its saving grace. So it has a surprisingly high rating on Goodreads. Yeah, it was like 4.68 average. So I'm curious if that is from people who just love it on Netflix and automatically loved it. Maybe that helped yeah. them prepare knowing what was going to happen if they watched it first. Yeah. Or maybe they even know more about chess, and so they like that aspect. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, because it just did not do it for me at yeah. all. So let us know out there. We hope you enjoy listening to our thoughts on The Queen's Gambit. Let us know if we should watch on Netflix or not. Please let us know how they compare if you've seen it and read it, because I'm genuinely curious, but not really curious enough to go, I want to know why it's so popular. I can't see it. Tell me so I don't have to watch and endure this again like I endured the book. <laughs> Uh, the way you can reach out to us is at the Lost Chill on Instagram and Facebook. While you're there, letting us know what you think about the Queen's Gambit, give us a follow so you can know what the next books we'll be discussing are. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning, just in time to have with your morning coffee. Next week, we will be discussing The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna. Oh, I'm so excited. And then we're going to be talking about Outlawed by Anna North the following week. So I have been seeing this book all over Bookstagram and cannot wait. I can't wait for both of them. I'm so excited. I am excited for these ones yeah, as well. They will be, be good. good palate cleansers. Yes. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry if you like The Queen's Gambit. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> We have our full schedule for the month of February and March listed on Facebook and Instagram. And we are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show. We can't wait to hear your thoughts on this book or any other books for that matter. So don't forget to reach out to us on social media and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.